morning. God bless you guys. And before we dive into Crazy Ivan, let me just say we are so glad that you have joined us today uh, in worship here and now the preaching of the Board of Dorsville Baptist Church. And you know, I know you see the ones on the stage and you see Brent and I, and there's only just a few others. We've always got a great sound crew and a video crew working, our camera folks, almost said cameramen, and they're both ladies, so that would not work. Um, but I'm so grateful for the ones that God puts here um, that we can do what we do today. And we are glad that you have joined us on the radio and also on Facebook Live and later on YouTube. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. We're excited to be here today. So what in the world is Crazy Ivan? Well, I found this clip. It's from the movie The Hunt for Red October. It's a submarine spy thriller. One of my favorite movies. It's really decently clean. Um, and it's just a, well, it's just a fun movie to watch. It really is. And, and so I learned this term, Crazy Ivan, from this movie. And, and as you heard, but let me read to you, you know, when a Russian, uh, Crazy Ivan is when a Russian submarine commander turns suddenly to see who is following him. And, and the thrust is that, you know, when, when a submarine's under, under the water and the props are churning the water, a submarine can be right behind you and you wouldn't hear them. And, of course, you wouldn't see them, okay? And so, so what the submarine commander would do is turn hard left or hard right, and all of a sudden that submarine's exposed, and they call it a crazy Ivan, okay? And he does it. Now, listen, this is so, Brent, this is good, okay? He does it. To see who is following him. God does crazy Ivans. God will suddenly take a hard left or a hard right. And he does it to see who is following him. And by the way, just I'll share with you up front. I honestly believe we're in a crazy Ivan. I believe God has orchestrated this. Um, allowed this, if that's a better term. And he's going to see who truly follows him. And that's such a big, big point. Now, now, we know that we serve a God of surprises. We understand that. Uh, his ways are mysterious ways. I think we even mentioned that last week. But we serve a God of surprises. And, and you, know, you know, it seems, when it seems something's a random move, all right, or, or a turn, it may well be the providence of God. Now listen, if you are a Christ follower today, you need to get that. You need to understand that. When, when a sudden move or turn comes, what seems random is not random at all. In fact, I wrote down and said this. You serve, I serve, we serve a very strategic God. There are not accidents. There are not oops. And he doesn't wake up on Tuesday morning. Well, first off, he doesn't wake up. But anyway, he doesn't wake up on Tuesday morning and go, oh, I think I'll do this today. No, not at all. He is a very strategic God, and nothing, nothing is random with him. What we're seeing is the providence of God. The word providence comes from uh, the word, um, the, the prefix pro, all right, which means before, and video, which means to see. So God sees ahead of time. God's providence is that he sees ahead of time. Even a more in-depth definition is this. The foreseeing care and guidance of God over the creatures of the earth. I love that. I love it because it shows a God who is personally involved in our lives. The foreseeing care and guidance of God over the creatures of the earth. And the second part, a manifestation of divine care and direction. So I'm trying to tell you that you serve a God today who is watching over us. 
watching over us. And it's not just, it's not just the, the person we're going to talk about today. It's just not preachers or deacons or a select group of believers. He watches over and cares for his entire body of Christ, his believers. In fact, he watches over the entire earth. So we want to look at an incredible story today from the life of Elijah. You know, last week I so enjoyed the oil and the flour, never going dry. And I said, oh God, that was such a wonderful scripture. And I looked at this week and said, you know, how, how will that line up? And oh my, as God began speaking to my heart and, and I studied the word of God, how it came alive to me. I really want to encourage you, get that worship app out, okay, and follow along. Go to Version, regardless if it's Apple or Android. Go, go to Version. Go down the corner uh, where the lines are. Click more. Go up there. You'll see events and open that thing up. It's got all the scriptures in there. And be sure and hit save because that means after this week is over, you can go back. You can put notes in and go back. And I really think, listen to me, I think this is an important message for these days, but also for the days to come. So if you remember last week, if you remember last week, we talked about Elijah, the brook dried up and the ravens quit bringing food. So it was time for Elijah to move on. And God tells him to go to Zarephath and remember that that was Jezebel's home area. Okay. And a heart of Baal worship. He would say, why would God send him there? He had a purpose. And he provided a widow of all people to provide for him. So he goes there and finds the widow and, and says, hey, make me some bread first. And she says, what? She says, don't you understand? I've got just a little here and we're going to make this and die. And God says, yeah, I got bigger plans. I got bigger plans. And through Elijah, he speaks to her and says, listen, trust me. Trust me. Go ahead, take that and make that cake, but bring it to me first. And we learned about the first fruits of, of trusting God with the first fruits. And sure enough, she does that. And you know what happened? The oil didn't go dry and the flour barrel didn't go empty. All the times of the drought. It's just an amazing, amazing story. So that's where we left off last week. And now it's school time. It's school time. Again, let me say it one more time. I think we're in school. I think these days we're living in is school. Okay? So I want to see what we can learn from the Word of God today. Now, in 1 Kings 17, 17, the very first part, in fact, the first couple of words, it says sometime later. So, so every day, every morning... Every morning now, you know, they're going to the oil oil barrel, excuse me, the, the flour barrel and the oil jug, and they're pouring it out, and it happens every time. And you remember from Elijah's life, you know, that God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. And so, so they're doing this now. Every day uh, in the morning, they have breakfast, you know, you know, God is good, God can be faithful, and God is trusted, and, you know, God can be trusted. And so then, in the evening, they have supper, okay? And the same thing happens over and over again. And we don't know how long this goes on. We know the drought lasted three and a half years, but we don't know exactly how long Elijah was there. But day after day, week after week, month after month, on and on and on, they go, and there's oil and there's flour. We're going to make bread. Now, this you got to understand something about our, our widow lady here, okay? She was a pagan Baal follower, okay? We're going to several times you're going to hear today. Now, listen, somebody, somebody needs to hear this this morning. We're going to have to cut her some slack. Have you ever noticed how the church, someone gets saved and trusts Jesus, and the moment they want to mess up, we got to learn to cut people slack. Aren't you, God, aren't you glad God cuts you some slack? Aren't you glad when you mess up, God cuts you some slack? Well, we've got to learn to cut some slack with folks. 
with people. All right, so, so here we go. Here we go. So, so here she is, and every day she's going to the barrel, okay? And every day she's going to the, to the oil jug, and every day God is feeding her. But here's the deal. She's a brand new. She's a newbie. She's a newbie. She was a Baal follower, not a Jehovah follower. All right? She was a Baal follower, not a Jehovah. And, and so cool. It's so cool. She is the, just the kind of person that God wants to use. Okay? You remember Rahab the harlot? You know, back in, in Jericho and the walls fell down. You know, she's much like, like Rahab. Rahab was totally, not only is she a prostitute, but, but she was not a God follower. And God turns right around and uses her in great ways. She meets Jehovah, God changes her, and God uses her. Right? It's an amazing thing. Uh, what about Ruth? You remember the story of Ruth in the Bible? You know, Ruth was a Moabite, another pagan. And, you know, and she turns into a God follower. And God, she follows God. God changes her. And God uses her. So our widow lady is the same way. She's a newbie. Okay? And she was a pagan follower. She met Jehovah. And God changed her. And now God wants to continue to use her. And by the way, over in Luke chapter 4, verse 25 and 26, Jesus even mentions her in the New Testament. Jesus even mentions her in the New Testament. But we're going to have to be sure and cut her some slack. Listen, she's not a lot different from us. You know, we have, we have 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you're in Christ, you become a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, fixing, I'm fixing to say something important. Write this down, okay? Salvation is instantaneous. I mean, it's a moment in time. Boom! You know, one minute you're not saved, the next minute you are. And when you confess your sins to the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe that God, that he died for your sins and God raised him from the dead and you repent of your sins, you turn from your sins and choose to follow Jesus, that is an instantaneous thing. God saves you instantly. But listen, the process of sanctification is a lifelong journey. We sometimes forget that. Again, we sometimes expect people who just get saved to instantly be sanctified like we are. <laughs> We're not just that sanctified. We are sanctified in the sense of God setting us apart, but our lifestyles is not very sanctified sometimes. Can I hear an amen? They're not. They're not. And so, so keep in mind then that she's a newbie. She's been a Baal follower. Now she's a Jehovah follower, and she's learning the ropes. She's learning the ropes. You know, God enrolls her to help her learn the ropes. See, God wants us to learn. God wants us to learn. So, so what he did for her... Okay, is he enrolled her in the school of bread. The school of bread. And it goes something like this, okay? Every day, and I mentioned this earlier, every day she would go to her kitchen. She would get a barrel of flour, okay, and she would get the jug of oil. And at the beginning of the story, there's a little bit in each one. But she obeyed God and trusted God, put God first, and now she goes to the kitchen every day, and there's always, someone say always, there's always flour in the barrel and there's always oil in the jug, okay? So she learns, like Elijah learned, like the children of Israel learn, that God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted every day. You know, the children of Israel had the manna, they got, 
they learned God is good, God's faithful, and God can be trusted. Elijah had the ravens before the widow. God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. Now the widow's enrolled in school. And she goes to the, the barrel and to the jug every single day, twice a day perhaps. She learns God is good, God's faithful, and God can be trusted. Now here's what you've got to get. Are you ready to get it? You're enrolled in the school. You're enrolled in the bread school and you don't even know it. Oh, no, Dwayne, you don't understand. I have a job, see, and that, that job, I didn't lose my job. I've got a job, and so I, I get paid, and I get to go to Walmart, or I get to go to Kroger's, one of the local grocery stores, perhaps Aldi's, and I go in with my money that I've earned, and I buy bread for my family, I provide. Son, you got it all wrong. You may have a job, but who do you think gave you that job? It was God Almighty. But Dwayne, I got my degree. Who do you think allowed you to get that degree? See, we're all enrolled in the school of provision. We're all enrolled in the school of bread. It's just that we, are, we forget and we don't understand it. God is providing for us every single day with the purpose of teaching us God is good, God is faithful, God can be trusted. And folks in America, we don't get it. The church in America doesn't get it. We think we've done it. We think somehow it's all us. It ain't us. We didn't do it. We don't get it. It's God. It's God. Everything in our life, it's God, it's God, it's God. So God enrolls her in the school of bread. Now here's the core curriculum. Here's the core curriculum. Again, you need to have your pencil out. You need to be writing this down. Here's the core curriculum for the, for the school of bread. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 3. Here's the core. Um, so Moses is speaking to the children of Israel. And he says this. He, so he, God, so he humbled you. See, what, what he did, he put the nation of Israel in a place of dependence. That place was called desert. I mean, there wasn't, you know, you could drive down and there wouldn't be a McDonald's. There wouldn't be a Aldi's over here. There wouldn't even be a Huck's over here or a Casey's over there. They were in a place of dependence. God had to meet their needs. God has put us in a place of dependence. For too many years, we've been independent of God. For too many years, we've been independent of God. So God in the school puts us in a place of dependence. And, of course, that leads to a place of need. He humbled you and allowed you to hunger. To hunger. As your stomach rumbles. We were sitting in staff meeting. And Brent always sits next to me in staff meeting. And all of a sudden, there's this sound of us. I mean, go, dude. I said, hey, man, you know. My stomach was cutting loose with saying, hey, I need a donut. I need a donut. All right? So so anyway, so so he, he puts us in this place of hunger, okay? So it teaches us dependence. So dependence and hunger. You know, this is so cool. No, write this down. Write this down. Adam. Remember the guy, the first guy, first man? I mean, he was fat and happy. He was there all by himself. He could watch as much as ESPN as he wanted to. Okay? He could eat all the bad food he wanted to. There was no one saying, you know you shouldn't be eating that. There was no one. All right? So what does God do? God brings all the animals, okay, to him. He says, Adam, I want to give, you know, I want you to give these guys a name. And so they would walk up, okay, and there was usually a male and a female, kind of like the ark, but not the ark, okay? But you know, this is a horse, and that's a horsette, okay? And here's a 
housefly and a houseflyette, okay? And all these animals came before Adam. And before long, he looked around and said, wait a minute. They've got somebody, and they've got somebody, and they've got somebody, and they've got somebody. And they looked at himself and said, I ain't got nobody. And what God did was he allowed him to name the animals so he could see his need for a mate. And then, and then watch, watch, watch. When God showed him the need, what did God do? He met the need. He met the need. So the core curriculum says, so he humbled you, put you in a place of dependence. Then he caused you to be hungry. Okay. Then what did he do? He met the need. He met the need. And he fed you. Here's in verse number 8, of uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 3. Okay. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, did your fathers know, that he might make you know something. Isn't that so good? So God puts them in a place of dependence. God lets a hunger get into them and then feeds them. That's what God wants to do in this situation. He's put us in a place of dependence. There's a hunger. Mm, this is good. There's a hunger for normalcy. There's a hunger for the way things used to be. God might well say, I'm glad you've got a hunger, but you don't need what you used to have. You need me. You need me. Folks, it's the truth. We have drifted so far from God. And God creates a hunger. And he wants to be the satisfaction of that hunger. And, and, and in fact, he says it. He said... That he might make you know, watch, that man shall not live by bread alone. God is teaching us in this time that physical things are not the answer. Cars, trucks, homes, labels, fancy houses, fancy boats, whatever. Uh, hobbies, whatever it is. They're not the answer. Man does not live by bread alone. We, do not, we don't live by normalcy alone. He teaches us, we don't live by normalcy alone. Well, what do we live by? But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. We need more than physical. America is so blessed with physical stuff, but we need more than physical. We need spiritual. We need God. See, you don't need a Santa Claus. You don't need an Easter bunny. You don't need a genie where you rub him just right. And you get whatever you want. You, we need God. And that's the core curriculum, okay, of what the School of Bread teaches us. All right? Now, I got two things I want to share with you. And I called it WOW 1 and WOW 2. Okay? And WOW stands for either, I'll give you your choice. It can be words of wisdom or it can be words of warning. Depending on where you are in your circumstance, it may be more appropriate one over the other. Words of warning and words of wisdom. A while number one says this. Beware, warning, beware of mindlessly enjoying and consuming the blessings of God. Beware of mindlessly enjoying and consuming the blessings of God. Here's why that's so important. Monty, you wonder why that's really important? Here's why. If we're not careful, when we mindlessly uh, consume the blessings of God, that makes us God consumers and not God worshipers. 
And the church in America has become God assumers, consumers. God, you, you, we want you, but we want to consume you for our own pleasure. Oh my goodness, that's good. God, we want, we want, we want, we want you, God, but we want to consume you for our pleasures, for what's good for us, not what's good for the kingdom, and not what's good for the for the world. But God, what's good for me? And when we mindlessly just consume God and His blessings. That's where that leads. Deuteronomy 8.14 says this. Be careful, he says. Be careful that your heart doesn't become proud. Look, I think this is where the, where the culture is. And unfortunately, too often where the church is. Okay? Look what I've done. Don't let your heart become proud. Look what I've done. And you forget the Lord your God. We, did you know you can have church and forget the Lord your God? Um, David said something this morning saying right here is so important. And basically he said, it's all about Jesus. But I'm telling you in the church today, too often it's about us. Too often it's about what we want, not what God wants. It's what we want, not what God wants. So, so be, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. Don't forget what God has done for you. While number two is this. While number two is beware. Time and repetition can lead to a sense of entitlement, expectation, and pride. Let me read it to you again. Beware. Time and repetition. In other words, blessings over a long period of time and repetition, the same blessing over and over again, can lead to a sense of entitlement. I deserve this. I deserve my salvation. I deserve the blessings of God. I deserve what He has. Do you deserve it? Let me tell you what you deserve. Hell. Every one of us deserve eternal separation from God. That's what we deserve. But God in His rich mercy and grace has given us eternal life for every person who's willing to trust. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? So, so be careful of entitlement. Be careful of expectation. Be careful of expectation. Expectation leads to a loss of gratitude. You know, your wife does something for you. Your husband does something for you. Okay? You do it one time. They do it one time. Oh, honey, I can't believe that you did this. Okay? Next day, they do it again. Oh, honey, I can't believe you did this. Goes the third time. Oh, honey, I can't believe you did this. The fourth day, you don't do it. And they say, and why didn't you do it? What changed? A spirit of expectation. See, when God blesses us over and over again, over a period of time, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, do that be a spirit of expectation. We expect Him to bless. That's good. We expect Him to bless us. We expect Him to be good to us. Beware of that. Be, beware of the sense of pride that's me, 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 me. Me, 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 me. So in the school of bread, we learn these things. That's why the school of bread is so important. That's why when we, when we go, when we sit down at the table and we say our cursory, God is great, God is good, let us thank you for this food, we need to really pause. And, and Judy's taught me this. We really need to say, God, thank you for this. Now, when I go, if I ever get to go to Old Charlie's again, if I ever get to go to Old Charlie's again, and I actually get to sit down at a table, and bow my head. Here's what Jesus taught me to pray. Hey, God, thank you. One of two things. You'll appreciate this, and they will appreciate this. If, if someone gives us a gift card, 
We like gift cards. <laughs> Just, you know, we, we like gift cards. And somebody gave us a gift card. We've learned to pray, God, thank you for the person who made this meal possible by an act of love. And if I'm, oh, if I'm paying the bill, breaks <laughs> my heart. If I'm paying the bill, okay, all right? If Judy won't pay the bill. <laughs> if I paid the bill, she's taught me to pray, God, thank you we have money to pay the bill. See, those things, that will help you. The school, the school of, of bread, will, if you practice these disciplines, will help you to appreciate what God does for you in the smallest things. You know, for while number two, when we had that spirit of expectation and, and the spirit of entitlement and pride, you know what Jesus said? You know, in John 6, 26, this is after he fed the 5,000, okay? Here's what he says. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, You are looking for me. So the good news is the people were looking for him. That's the good news. Okay? You know, you were looking for me. Not because you saw the signs. Not because of the spiritual acts that you saw in me. Mm, This is good. But because you ate the loaves and the bread. Jesus said, you're not following me because I'm the Messiah. You're speaking to the crowds. You're not following me because I, 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 I'm the Messiah. You, you're not even following me because of some of the spiritual stuff I've done. You know why you're following me? You showed up for lunch one day and I fed you. And then, they, oh, and then they started following Jesus. And every day they're saying, I wonder if there's a free lunch. Sounds like a preacher. I wonder if there's a free lunch in this one. That's what Jesus said. It's clear. You follow me for, because you ate the loaves and were filled. And then he goes on. And verse 27 says, don't work for the food that perishes. Don't work for the physical. Don't work for the physical, but rather for the food that lasts into eternal life. For the food, isn't that good? For the food that lasts for eternal life. So these are things that we learn, okay, in the school of bread. So, so she's a newbie, okay, keep saying that. She's a newbie. And she's been, we don't know if it's been days, weeks, or months. We don't know how long. But, but every day she'd go to class. She'd go to her pantry. And there was the flour and there was the oil. Every day, God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. Okay? Every day. What she didn't know, and what we don't know, is that God's preparing us. We know it now. We just didn't know it before. God's preparing her for something. See, God, again, God is not stagnant. He's strategic. God is not stagnant. He's strategic, and he's planning and working in our lives. And sometimes that's not very pleasant. Well, here it goes. Verse 17, the second part. The woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. We don't know how long she'd been eating bread and oil, but something hard came. See, if you live long enough, something hard's going to come in life. You don't, have, you don't have to be an old guy like me to understand hard things come in life, okay? The good news is God's been preparing you for that hard time. You just didn't know it. Well, her son got sick, grew worse and worse, and he finally died. Now, remember, this is kind of just, again, to put it in perspective. Remember, what was the widow lady doing, what was the widow lady doing, lady doing when Elijah showed up? I'm gathering sticks. 
Because I got a little bit of oil and a little bit of bread. I'm going to make a cake and we're going to die. So, so she's already used to the death idea. It's just different circumstances now. So her son became sick and he died. You go, what? God, what are you doing? I mean, why are you lying? I mean, sure, the sting and son dies. What? You know, and this, about this time, we're going to say, and about this time is when you point your finger or, or your friend points their finger and says, yeah, well, if he was a good God, he wouldn't do that. If God really loved me, he wouldn't do that. Well, just remember this. The, the curse of sin is the cause. The curse of sin is gone. And the cure is the cross. Yeah, can I say that again? The, the cause is the curse of sin. The cure is the cross of Christ. Don't, don't forget that. You know, if, you go, if you're all fired up today, you're all fired up going, you know, why did God allow this coronavirus? You got to remember something. We messed the world up. Okay? Every stinking bad thing in this world was caused from sin that entered that day in the garden. Matter of fact, let me read it to you. In Genesis 2.16, you know, And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Okay? But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. And when Adam and Eve chose to eat and rebel against God, and sin came in the world, with sin came natural disasters. With, with sin came sickness. And when, with sin came sorrow. And with sin came death. So you want to know where this all came from? Don't point your finger at God. Point your finger at the real cause, and it's called sin and Satan. Sin and Satan. So, so what happens now? What, what goes on now? Well, she says in verse number 18, the first part, Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, O man of God, what have... Now, you need to be taking notes right here. O man of God, what have you done... Hang on. To me. To me. First off, you need to know something. If you're a Christ follower, and you need to be prepared for this, okay? If you're a Christ follower and you're a known Christ follower, all right, and somebody's life gets really messed up, tragically, they're going to come looking for you, okay? I've learned this as a pastor, and you probably learned it. Dave's probably learned it, okay? Often people are angry at me because I'm the God representative. They can't get to God, so they can get to me. And they say, I don't want to hear about your God. Your God let me down. God failed me. Why did God? I mean, it's just pure anger. Okay? So be aware that in this case, like Elijah, oh man of God, what have you done to me? Do you see it? There's a key word there. What have you done to me? All right, write this down. Satan does to you, but God does for you. Satan does to you, but God does for you. You might say it this way. God is for you, and Satan is after you. Okay? Now, now you need to write that down. Because you're going to get down the road, and something's going to go bad, and you're going to want to say, God, why did you do this to me? God is not in the to me business. He's in the for me. Whoa, Dwayne, well, yeah, I suppose you've got a scripture for that. I do. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 if God is for us, if God is 
for us? Who can be against us? Who can be against us? If God is for us. Here's a couple of instances in, in the New Testament where this is so graphically illustrated. I, I, I put on in the worship app, you know, and, and on the slide, you know, two verses four. Two me versus four me. The first one is Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Okay? Here's what Satan did to you. Okay? It happened all back again in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 when he tempted Eve and she surrendered and then Adam surrendered and sin came in the world. The payment for sin, and it all goes back to there, it's been passed on from generation to generation to millennia to millennia until it gets to us. And the payment for our sin is death. That's to me. What did God do for me? But the gift of God. Someone say amen. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What did Satan do to you? He spiritually murdered you and your parents before you. What did Jesus woo, What did Jesus do for you? He gives you the gift of eternal life. The gift. You don't earn it. You don't pay for it. It's a gift. All you've got to do is believe and receive. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. The next, the next two verses, four is found in John 10.10. This is one you've got to know. Okay, here it is. The thief, talking about Satan. Here's the to you. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's not your buddy. He's not your friend. Has anyone ever heard the the voice of Satan whispering in your ear, if you'll just follow me? I mean, you know, Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, when he's being tempted, that's that's what he did to Jesus. If you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. Has anyone heard that voice for it's in your ear? Listen, if if you'll just follow me, I'll get you through the coronavirus. If you'll just follow me, I'll get you through this crisis. You just keep in mind, the thief does to you, not for you. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But what does Jesus do? Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I'm for you. I want you to have the abundant life. It's amazing. It's amazing. So, so when her, her son dies, she's a newbie now. Don't be too hard on her. She's a newbie. But the first thing she wants to say is, is that God is against her. Okay? Even though, this is so good. I knew this was going to work. Even though she went to the pantry, Brent, every day and got flour and oil from who? Who did the flour and oil come from? God, as soon as something bad happens, you know, why, why, why'd you do this to me? I mean, I, mean, I wrote that. Again, I'm, being, I'm not being mean, okay? I'm not being mean. But Elijah could have said, excuse me, you wouldn't even, you'd be dead if I hadn't come along. If, if God hadn't come along, you'd be dead. Because you'd have had your little sticks and your little fire and you'd have had your little cake and died. You said, that's the witness of your, that's the witness of your mouth. But he didn't say that. And he shouldn't have said it. Sometimes we're tempted to say it, aren't we? We shouldn't. We shouldn't. He, she says in verse 18, second part, have you come here? Now, ma'am, I showed up because God chose you out of all the, this is what Jesus was saying in Luke chapter 4, of all the widows, and there were a lot in, in that area, okay, in Zarephath, God chose you to be provided for through His grace and mercy. 
Why have you come here? But again, she's hurt. She's broke. Her son's dead, Robin. Her son's dead. And we, we can tell from the end of the scripture, it's, you know, it's, it's a young boy. It's a young one. Why did you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? Again, that sounds, I know, I know, I know, I know. We're sitting here from our little comfortable rooms, our living rooms, and wherever you're watching church today, and we're in our little building here, you know, you know doing church here, and you know, we go, well, that, boy, that was not very grateful. She's hurting. Oh, by the way, there's people all over around hurting. Be, be kind. Be gentle. They're hurting. When someone speaks harshly against your God, understand they're probably speaking harshly because they're hurting. Why did you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? See, see, the, the widow was a victim of her own guilt and fear. The, the widow was a victim of her own guilt and fear. See, see, she hadn't. She hadn't learned yet. Remember, have I told you today she's a newbie? Have I told you yet that we're newbies? I don't care how long we've been saved. We're still learning. She hadn't learned yet that God didn't come to give fear. He came to take fear away. God didn't come to bring guilt he came to remove guilt. And the cause of the guilt. And the cause of the guilt. She wrongly assumed, and we wrongly assumed, and your neighbor will wrongly assume, she wrongly assumed that her son died as punishment for her sin. For her sin. And it was at the hand of a non-caring, mean God. Now listen. Listen. Let me speak to our family first. When that temptation comes, how many times have I said it, Brent? Go here. This will tell you that you don't serve a mean God. You don't serve an uncaring God. You serve a God that sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a Roman cross that we could come in relationship with Him and have eternal life. That's the God you serve. No matter what your circumstances say, no matter what the casket says, I'm telling you, we serve a God. Where are you at, David? We serve a God of good intentions. We serve a God of good intentions. But she wrongly assumed that it was at the hand of a God who was mean and a God who didn't care. Isaiah's good. <laughs> You're real close to my scripture. Isaiah 49 14 uh, through 16. Now again, the setting is this, so we won't take it out of context. The nation of Israel is in, in Babylon, in captivity for their, for their sin. Okay, and God's, God's going to be there 70 years. And so they're, they're winding down, okay, but they're still in Babylon in captivity. Okay? So like the widow lady who says, why have you come here to point out my sin and kill my son? Okay, so they're thinking... That God doesn't care and that God's a mean God. Okay, well, listen to this. Yet Jerusalem says, yet Jerusalem, and by the way, yet we say, and I'm tempted to say, and you're tempted to say, and the world certainly says, yet Jerusalem says, 
The Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Has anyone besides me been tempted to say that in this hot mess we're in? You know, it was okay for the, you know, the first two weeks was kind of a novelty. Well, I'm way past novelty. (laughs) Okay? I'm way past novelty. But you know, it's, has God forgotten us? Has God deserted us? Listen. Verse 15. I love it. This happens to be the New Living Translation. Never. 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 God will never forget you. God will never forget you. Forsake you. Desert you. Never. And then he says this way. Can a mother... Forget her nursing child. And uh, please, I hope I'm not being graphic, but, but it's, God is saying there's a, breast, there's a baby at the breast. The woman's holding the baby to the breast. Can that woman, can that woman forget her nursing child? Well, that'd be pretty difficult. Can she feel no love for the child she's born? Well, we know in the world today that's a possibility. And, and God says that. But even if that were possible, that might be. I would not forget you. Would you please hear me today? God will not forget you. You need to know that. If you're in a difficult time right now, you need to know that. You need to know that God will not desert you, no matter what. You'll never, never walk alone as a child of God. I would never forget you. And then verse 16, see, I have written your name on my hands, on the palm of my hands. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. And that is literally the translation from the Hebrew back in the Old Testament. God is saying to the nation of Israel, I have written your names on the palm of my hand. And in a very special way, in the New Testament, our names are written in the hands of Jesus through the scars, through the scars. You know, I don't know if it says Dwayne or not, but it says child of God. I don't know if it says Dwayne or not, but it says son or daughter. I don't know if it says Dwayne or not, but it says never forsaken. I don't know if it says Dwayne or not, but it says never forgotten. I've carved you into my hands. In 1 John 4, 18, you know, there is no fear in love. We, oh, I wish we could burn that in our hearts. I wish we could tattoo it on our hearts. There's no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. I love the word drives out. There's no fear. If we, under, if we understand how much God loves us, there's no fear. There's no fear in that. And then, in fact, the perfect love, the unconditional love, drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. See, there's someone listening to my voice today, and that's how you see God. You see a mean God who can't wait to punish you. Man, where did you get that theology? Take it back and get your money back. That's not the theology of the Word of God. So the one who fears is not complete in love. They don't understand love. Well, what is, what is Elijah going to do with this? So, so here's a woman. She's angry. She's bitter at God in him. And there's a dead body. 
there's a dead body. Well, verse 19. So Elijah replied, give me your son. Okay? Now, now I, I need to tell you this right now. I do not believe Elijah knew what to do. There's no indication that, that you know, God was going to do a miracle or not do a miracle. He just did the next best thing, the next right thing. If we could learn to do that in our lives, just do the next right thing. Sometimes we need to wait, but sometimes we just need to do the next right thing. So, so he says, give me your son. Okay? And he, 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 he takes the evidence of the death out of the situation. Okay? He takes the evidence of the, of the death, the dead body, out of the situation. Probably good advice. He took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying and laid the body on the bed. Okay? So, so we have the situation. I don't think he had a plan. Okay? But he did the next right thing, he thought, and got the baby, the son, out of that situation. Okay? So here you go. Just my words. Okay, God. What are we going to do now? What are we going to do with this, God? What are we going to do with this? Now, again, I don't think he had an idea. Okay? But here's the good news. God did. God, God had an idea. See, I, I tell you, it's just best. It's just best if we remember, wait, wait, wait. God's got an idea. God's got an idea. Okay? So, so it involves God. It centers around God. It's really not are we going to do. There's no we in it. It's got to be God or it ain't going to happen. Okay? Elijah could huff and puff all he wanted to, but it, it was going to bring the boy back to life. It had to be God. You need to write that down too. It has to be God. And fortunately, he's enough. He's enough. Well, so in verse 20. So Elijah cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy? And then to soothe my conscience, I would put in brackets there, why have you allowed tragedy to this widow who has opened her door, her home to me, Causing, or to make me feel better, allowing her son to die. God, why have you done this? God, to make me feel better. God, why have you allowed this? And those are honest questions. Have you ever wrote something and realized that you didn't believe what you wrote? Well, it happened to me. Right here, this next slide. I wrote and said, this wasn't an accusation. Early this morning, I thought, maybe it was. No one said Elijah was perfect. Maybe what? Maybe maybe it was an accusation to God. Only Elijah knows. Get to heaven, we can ask him. You know, I wrote down it wasn't a statement of aggravation. Maybe it was. Maybe God, or maybe Elijah was just aggravated with God. Have you ever been aggravated with God? Yeah, probably yesterday. Probably any day. Yeah. But here's what I know is true. Here's what I know is true. It was. A cry for godly authentication. Here's what he's saying. God, I need for you to be God. If anything's going to happen here, either A, you're going to resurrect, and this kind of reminds me of Abraham, either A, you're going to bring this boy back to life, or B, you're going to give me some answer to that, that crying mama downstairs. One or the other. I need an answer, God. I need for you to authenticate yourself. And come on now. God, I need for you to be God. Is there some times in your life when you need God to be God? Amen. Like right now, God, I need for you to be God. Well, here's what he did. Okay. He stretched himself out over the child three times. So he lays down on top of the child, the lifeless body three times. And he cried out to the Lord, 
Oh, Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. Now, this is a mystery. Why did he pray three times? Now, come on. Well, Jesus prayed three times in the garden. Maybe he prayed three times, one for the Father, one for the Son. one. For the... We don't know. It's one of those mysteries. We don't know. Why did he lay on top of the boy for? Well, maybe he was letting his body heat go to the cold body. We don't know. It's okay. It's okay not to know. So when somebody asks you a hard question about the Bible, be honest and say, I don't know. I know. We don't know, okay? But we know one thing. Not only does God have a plan, God has power over death. Oh, by the way, did you know this? I read this in the commentary, so if you prove me wrong, blame the commentary. No one's ever been resurrected before. Up to this point in the Bible, no one's been resurrected. So what is about to happen, what we're about to see happen, was the big one. It was the first one. It was the first one. Okay? So, so he lays down, he prays three times and cries out, God, God, please restore life to this child. I love this. Verse 22. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer. You know, I would never correct James, the half-brother of Jesus. But I was never that impressed with Elijah's prayer to stop and start rain. You know why? It was a done deal. I mean, God said no rain. God said send rain. You, when you pray in full accordance with the will of God, you expect it to happen. Elijah didn't have a clue. This could go well. He could walk downstairs with a living boy and say, here you go. Or he may have to walk downstairs and go, God said no. But can I tell you something? And this is true in your prayer life. If God gives you exactly what you want and the miracle happens, he's God. But if God doesn't give you what you want and the miracle doesn't happen, he's still God. The performance of the miracle you want is not an indicator that he's God. He's God, Brent. Amen? He's God. Well, the Bible says the Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and he revived. Wow. He revived. And so in verse 23, he gets the privilege of going downstairs. So Elijah brought him downstairs from the upper room and gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Can you even imagine the joy? Can you imagine the wow factor of this? Okay? Now, now again, she's seen the oil and the, and the flour. That's cool. But now her dead son is back to life. It's never happened before. In the entire history of the world, it's never happened before. Now, now here's there's three things that you need to see. Number one is this. Her faith is strengthened. Now, have I told you today that she was a newbie? Robin, have I mentioned that she's a newbie? We've got to cut her some slack. Okay. In the school of bread, this is like graduate course. You know, just like Baylor. It's a graduate course. Okay. So now, now she sees her dead son to life. What do you think that did to her faith? Holy moly. Holy moly. So, so he gives me flour and oil. And my dead son back? Let me tell you something. Her faith faith was strengthened. But number two, number two, number two, number two. God was glorified. God was glorified. He's he's in that business. Have you you heard that before? He's in that business. You know, our good, his glory. 
You know, God's in the business of making his name big. You do know that, don't you? He's not in the business of making you big. He's not in the business of making the church, his Dorsville Baptist Church, big. He's in the business of making him big, himself big. So God was glorified. But the third thing is really significant. We see that in verse 24, and then we're done. You know, Elijah was validated. Elijah was validated. Look, look what she says. She says it best. Then a woman told Elijah. Now, first off, do you remember what she said? Oh, man of God, why did you come here to kill my son? Now listen to what she says. Then the woman told Elijah, Now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Now I know. Now I know. So, so... Her faith is strengthened. God is glorified. And Elijah is validated. She needed that. Because the guy's still living in her house. And now for sure it solidifies her faith in God and his sovereignty. Okay? But Elijah needed that. You know why God, you know why Elijah needed this? He's facing 450 prophets next week. Got to show up next week. It's showdown time. It's smackdown time. You know, Mount Carmel's happening. And Elijah can now, Elijah can now face those 450 prophets of Baal with a new sense of confidence. Not what he can do. Not what he can do, but what God can do. God can bring dead boys back to life. That's what God can do. So if you're here today, if you're, and first off, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you heard a whole lot about that cross over there. You heard a whole lot about it. it's not religion, it's not church. It's about Jesus. The fact that God loved you so much, he sent his son Jesus to live and die and die on a Roman cross. He came back to life. The resurrection validated him as the son of God and said that, hey, whoever believes in me and is willing to turn from their sins can have forgiveness and eternal life. And again, you know, my phone number is 499-0070. Or you can make a comment right now if you're listening in Facebook Live. Make a comment. I want to know about this Jesus. Call me and give me your phone number. And one of our staff will call you this week, this week, to talk to you, talk to you about Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. But as we enter, what is it? Let's see, we started this on the 22nd of March. So we're in about seven weeks of this. So here we are, week seven. The novelty's long gone. We're frustrated and we're, we're ready for this to be over. And um, you need to know something. God's still in control. God's, God's still got this, okay? Um, I am certain that the children of Israel, about year 65, said, okay, God, we've learned our lesson. We're ready to go back to Israel. And God says, no, no. I said 70 years. So, so this is going to be over when God takes us out of school. Okay, when, when we're done learning what God wants us to learn, then it will come out of this. Okay, it may be different, but it'll be a good different. It'll be good because our God wrote the prescription. Our God. So wherever you are today, the difficulty where you are, trust him. What is it? God is good. God is faithful. God can be trusted. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I genuinely thank you for the privilege of sharing this truth today. I cannot believe how your word just comes alive. It just reaches from centuries ago right into our hearts, our living rooms, our kitchens, wherever we are, God, today. 
Thank you for this wonderful truth. I want to pray for my friend today who may not know Jesus Christ as Savior. Would you, Father, encourage them and lead them to leave their phone number where we can reach out to them and share the great news of the gospel like we shared today personally with them. Father, for my church family, Father, I pray for the ones specifically who are going through a very difficult time right now. I just want to pray for them. Father, I want to pray for all of us that during the school of bread that will understand that you're providing for us. And Lord, that, that, that's not out of control. Okay, Father, that you've got this. Help us to be patient with you and learn everything you want us to learn. We love you, Jesus, and pray this in your precious name. Amen.